Tonight's missions update is on the Knotts family there in Germany. We hadn't heard them in a little while, hadn't heard from them in a little while, almost six months, but they recently sent us an update on how they're doing and what the Lord's doing. They've had a busy several months. Uh, In particular, I just wanted to highlight a few things that they shared in their recent letter that we can praise God for and pray for. One, they saw somebody recently come to Christ, and so that's something for us to celebrate and pray for his discipleship. I don't remember what his name was. Um, I I have it here. Um, it's a great name, Edelbert. So uh, <laughs> Edelbert received the Lord as his Savior recently, and so they'd been praying for him, but they have other people like uh, some other, especially some other families that have started attending, three or four that have started attending their church. And so they want to praise God for that, thank him for those that are uh, regular, but several that are kind of dipping in and out, and they've asked for us to pray for those families they this summer did hold a basketball camp and they so they had somebody come to help them with that but then they've also opened up their basketball court um, there at their church to the community and told the boys that were a part of this camp hey you are welcome to come and use this basketball goal so we want to pray for them that those boys would would respond to the gospel and that that basketball ministry would be uh, fruitful there in their church and then the final thing is just a reminder to pray for their church plant in um, New. I was going to say New Ulm. That's a movie in Minnesota, about Minnesota. In Ulm, they have a they have a, their church plant that Justin is leading in Ulm. They said that the Lord has opened many doors. Some of them they did not think were humanly possible, but they um, they've asked us to pray as he begins home Bible studies soon. Looking forward to a church plant. So let's go ahead and pray for Jurgen and for Sherry right now. God, we pray for Jurgen and for Sherry and we ask your protection on their hearts and on their minds and on their ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would keep the the accuser at bay, that you would keep the uh that you would deliver them from the evil one. We pray for um we, we praise you for the young man who trusted in Christ, and we pray for more of those. We pray that he would grow as a disciple, that, that Lord, that would be the beginning of a, a lot of fruit in this season in their ministry. We praise you for the basketball camp and the relationships they were able to build with boys, we, that those boys were able to hear the gospel, and we pray that there would be more of that. God, we pray for the, the families that have started attending their church, Lord, that they would be discipled, and that they would see the, the life that you have saved them to live, uh, to do good works in their daily lives, in the life of the church there in Germany. And then we pray for the church plant there, that you, Lord, would open doors, that you would send the people that need uh, to be sent. We pray for the leader, Lord, that he would, when he's teaching, that he would teach your word very clearly, that he would trust in it. We pray when it comes time to preach, Lord, that his preaching would be done with power, because we know that that is what you use uh, to build your people and equip them for the work of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses five, uh, 6 and 7. This follows on the heels of where Paul has told the entire church to clothe themselves with humility. And he specifically, we saw this last week, said, clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud. But 
it gives grace to the humble or shows favor to the humble. Tonight, here in 1 Peter, verses 6 and 7, follows on that theme of humility and what we do with the reality that God is opposed to the proud but shows grace to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. This, following on the heels last week, specifically of God opposes the proud, one of the things I mentioned last week, is that we can know for certain that, it, that those that are proud, God is against them. That is a scary place to be. But the, it is that being humble is a place that God shows His grace. And so that is a safe place. Our hearts and our world tells us, no, the safe place is when you're secure, when you're self-sufficient, when you don't need anybody else or anything else. I'm reminded of the, the man in Jesus' parable who says, look, my barn is full. Let me tear it down and build six more barns. And he builds six more barns or seven more barns, fills them up, and then Jesus says, and then he dies. It was a man who was proud, like, look at everything that I have. The Bible tells us that being proud and being self-sufficient, being, hey, I am the master of my fate, I am the master of my world, is a, is a, uh, is a dangerous place to be. But the, the humble is a place of it's a person that God shows humility. So tonight I want to show you what we do, two things that we do since God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. I was teasing the kids tonight that um, this is going to be the longest sermon ever because when I was about 13, we had, a, we had a preacher come whose name was Hamp Valentine. And because his name was Valentine, I've always thought his sermon was on love. I don't remember if it had anything to do with love, but his name was Valentine, so I thought his sermon was on love. But I do remember very specifically, he had a 13-point sermon. And tonight we were joking about, this is going to be the longest sermon ever. And they're like, Dad, have you done like a five or a six? And I was like, I think I usually stop at four. But, you know, I was like, tonight we're going to do 13 points. No, tonight we have two points. Two points of what to do since God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. First, since God is opposed to the proud, humble yourselves. Notice verse six. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So what I want you to notice slowly is that he starts by saying, humble yourselves, as, as in don't wait for life or other people to humble you. Don't, don't like the, the attitude of a believer, and remember, we're, this is Peter speaking to believers in Turkey. They're, they're the ones who are already outsiders. They're already, they feel far from the land of promise. They already feel far from being in power. And yet he writes to them and says, but because God is opposed to the proud, humble yourselves. Don't wait until life and other people do that work for you. But instead, he says, humble yourselves, therefore. But I want you to know, he doesn't just say humble yourself. But he, he says, humble yourselves under God's hand. Basically, he's trying to get them to have this picture that my entire life is lived under the power and authority of God. That I'm not right now far away from Him, uh, far away from His care, far away from His provision, far, far away from Him doing good to me. But He says, put your life, humble your life under God's hand. But not only does He describe it as under God's hand, but He describes God's hand with the word mighty. 
And so, to, so we would, I mean, I would, part, part of me would go, you're writing to persecuted believers in Turkey. They, they, they're already humble according to the world's standards. But he's like, no, 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 I want you to humble yourself under God's mighty hand so that you begin to see wherever you're at, all the lack, all of this, the trouble, all of the things that you're going through and going, God, your mighty hand is over this too. God, you and your mighty hand are actually over me and my persecutors. God, your mighty hand is over me and the trouble that I can't seem to get away from. God, your mighty hand is over me and the, the worries that I live with. Peter says, like, what is the attitude of a believer since God is opposed to the proud and shows favor to the humble? It's that they actively humble themselves, not just saying, woe is me, or like, I'm less, but actually, I am less, but I'm also under God's hand. I'm under his mighty hand. But notice the promise or the result that Peter wants them to do. He wants us, you and I, to humble ourselves. But he doesn't call us to humble ourselves just because, well, this is, you know, this is a, a good thing for us to do. But he says, so that God may lift you up in due time. Our hearts say, raise yourself up. I, I return to the word self-sufficiency because it's a, it's a, a really common word. Whether it's, whether it's people in, in, our, in the world that are saying, financially, get yourself so that you and your retirement are completely self-sufficient and you have no more worries so that you can retire when you're 30 years old. Or whether it's the, 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 the homesteading, gardening side of our world that says you should, you should be self-sufficient so that you can split your own wood, so that you can you know, survive on nothing, so that you are off the grid and you don't need anything else. But it's also the attitude that our hearts give us where we go, I want a job where I'm not dependent on a boss. This passage says no, like it is a safer place for you to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Not trying to, to let, raise yourself up and provide for yourself and make sure that there's nothing else, no worry that could ever attack you. No, Peter says the safe place for you to be is a place where you say, hey, God, you and your mighty hand are over me right now. I'm going to live wisely in this moment, but I'm not going to try and get out from underneath your hand. I'm not going to try and get out from underneath God, your authority. And because Peter says, it's so that God can lift you up. I'm reminded of, um, of st stories of storm shelters and safe places that in, around here occasionally you'll still see a storm shelter. You know, a, it could be a root cellar, but it was the place that you go. And somebody was telling me a story about a family member that anytime there was a thunderstorm, like would panic. Somebody around here recently was just, uh, this family member would panic anytime the clouds got black. And I was like, but if you think about it, like we have alerts, we have TVs, we have phones, we have weather radios before that. Like we have things that tell us, hey, this storm is going to be bad, what's coming? I'm like, but imagine a hundred years ago, a tornado comes up and you've got minutes of warning. And so this, this person that would go into a panic, I was like, I bet they lived through some kind of storm. And so anytime the clouds turned black, they wanted everybody that they loved to go to that safe storm shelter because you have minutes of warning. Some of you, or actually most of you, lived through the tornado, turned some houses 
you know, sent papers flying in homes. You know what it's like when storms come up. And so safe places and storm cellars become safe places. I have a, a family member that lives in Tornado Alley who has a safe uh, storm shelter in the basement with 18 inch thick concrete in the basement all around because this is tornado alley tornadoes come through all the time when they built their home it's like we are going to have a safe room this passage says humility under the mighty hand of god is a safe place when the storms of life come the safest place you can be is humbling yourself under god's mighty hand saying, God, I'm not mighty, but you are. God, I'm not self-sufficient, but you're self-sufficient, and you promise to give grace to me. God, right now, my circumstances don't look like what I had hoped for. God, my, my strength and my abilities are not where I had hoped they would be at this point in my life. Peter says, the safe place is to be under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift you up. He's calling you and I to humble ourselves and begin to think about humility as a safe place. Humility in our relationships. Humility when there's conflict in our family and we, well, no one's going to treat me like that. Nobody's going to lie about me. Nobody's going to slander me. Nobody's going to, this passage says humility is much, much safer. And let God do the lifting. Don't lift yourself up. The second thing this passage calls us to do, since God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Notice verse 7. Verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This sounds like a disconnected line, right? If you're reading through this paragraph and you look and every one of them starts to sound like a different command. Uh, Here in the end of First uh, Peter. We'll see it also in Philippians when we get to that later in our morning series. Sometimes the, uh, the Bible, will use, for emphasis, will stop using connecting words. Instead of using the word and or but or so and starts connecting commands and those kinds of things, sometimes just for emphasis, uh, Peter and Paul and the other writers like John will sometimes just start listing things as a way of emphasizing this. And so here he's kind of emphasizing this, but it's not a separate idea. Because God is opposed to the proud and shows favor to the humble, that means that the natural response is those who have worries cast those on God. If God gives grace to the humble, shows favor to the humble, then the response that it calls for is for people like you and me to begin to cast our anxieties on God. And so... In some ways, this is like an easy, like a little Bible verse medicine to hand out. Like a, it can feel like a doctor giving you a little prescription with a Bible verse and go, here's a Bible verse for your problems. Because you and I deal with anxieties. I'm, I'm certain there are people in here that wake up in the middle of the night wondering, how is this bill going to be paid? So there are some who rehearse situations whether it's with a family or with a friend or some, something where there's a problem and you're trying to figure out how do I fix this situation? What, how, how, can I, how, can I, how can I work this out? There, I'm sure there are some who probably live their lives, some here who probably struggle with bitterness, thinking over and over of something that somebody has said or done. This passage is not a, a verse that just says, come on, cast all your cares on him. It actually gives us something active to do when our minds want to go towards anxiety. 
When we wake up in the middle of the night thinking, how, how is this going to be fixed for my children or my grandchildren? Peter says, doesn't, he says, I want you to lean in and see the work that God has for you as casting your anxiety on him. Not just, oh, cast it on God and you're going to be okay. Sorry, it, it just gives me the image. We use the word cast for fishing. And so some kinds of fishing, you just kind of throw it out there, you leave your pole, and then you wait. This is an active throwing your, your cares on God. And so the, the remedy for anxiety that Peter is using here is to remind ourselves, God cares for me. And so when the anxiety about the doctor's appointment comes up, I'm going to give that to God actively. Whenever the anxiety about bills or job situations or the need for wisdom comes up, instead of just going, okay, I'm going to throw that away and act like it didn't happen. No, I'm probably going to be thinking right here in bed. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm probably not going to fall back to sleep. Peter says, in that moment at three o'clock in the morning, remind yourself, God cares for you. And so give it to him actively. Lean in and say, okay, God, if I'm going to be awake and I'm going to be thinking about this, I'm going to be putting this on your to-do list. And I'm going to not only just put it on God's to-do list, but remind him, God, you care for me. And so I'm going to put myself under your mighty hand and let you handle this. What comes to mind is maybe you have a, uh, maybe you have a child or a grandchild that's far from God and making really bad choices. Make, or making choices that you wouldn't make and you want to try and figure out how do I fix this for them. Peter says, this is God's business. And rather than clutching it with your mighty hands, put it in God's concerns and let him take care of it. Go to him actively and, and let him handle this. Reminding God, God, I know that you care for me. And so God, I want you to I want you to give them wisdom. I want you to convict them that they're, where they're sinful. I want you to point them to the gospel. God, I want you to help them and give them the strength to leave off whatever this temptation is and to walk in your way. Here, this passage is a call to you and I that if God does show favor to the humble, then the natural response is to humble ourselves and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. Here in our house, sometimes, or I'm sorry, sorry, in our house, here, <laughs> next door in our house, there are times where Emma and I talk about the, the things we really, really want the kids to be working on. Could be something like potty training, could be something else. It, and whether, you know, sometimes they're two or four that you have different things on the agenda. When they're six and seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11, there's all different things. It seems like, though, sometimes the last resort is for us to go, God, we're at our wit's end. Some kids just don't want to potty train, God. And I don't know how to make this happen. Surely, God, they're not going to be 20 in this situation. But what this passage calls it and says, if this is your anxiety, put it in God's hands because he cares for you. We're not like, come on, can't you just figure out a better strategy? And besides, but just so you know, I know so many people that have like the method in 18 hours to get your kids potty trained. You know, right? Everybody, this is the thing. If you just read this book or do this thing, you'll get there. And I'm like, you haven't seen every child in the world. 
I don't, you know, so like there, oh, you should just do this and then you'll make sure that your kids eat at the table or that your kids will do this and be kind to each other or that you'll go, God, what I'm anxious about is my own heart and the way that I live in my family. God, change me from the inside out. This passage says all your cares, the little ones like potty training and people eating at the table and the big ones like, God, I don't want to sin in this way. God, I I don't want this temptation anymore. God, I want to walk in your ways and live in your your truth. All your cares, this passage says, cast those on him because he cares for you. The question, though, is do you believe this? Do you believe this? That God cares for you? Because the proof is, do we cast our cares on him? If we actually believe that God cares for us, if we actually believe that God cares about all of the little details of our lives, the big temptations, the, the needs for wisdom, if we, if we believe that God cares for us in such a way and shows favor to the humble, do we pray? Do we cast our anxieties on Him? I think this passage calls us to, to look at our own lives and to diagnose what's actually really happening in our world. What's actually really happening in our hearts? What, what is actually wrong? And in some cases, maybe many cases, what's actually wrong with us is we do not believe 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that God cares for me. It, it, and I'm not going to say that's everything, but sometimes when I go and visit somebody in the hospital room and it doesn't look like it's going to end well, or end well in the way I define it well. When we know this diagnosis doesn't really have a solution. Or maybe it does have a solution, it's just really hard and the suffering has, not, has gone on and it hasn't gotten any better. And we get in there and it's like, okay, well, what do we say that's not cheap? Like, oh, it's going to be great when you get to heaven. Like, like, what do you say in a place that's so deep and it's so sad? And what I have noticed is that the thing that we often need the most, even in in the lowest points of our lives, is a deep experience of the reality that God loves us. A deep experience, a deep conviction in our hearts that the mighty God, whose hand is over me, cares about me. The, The thing that we need when we're the when we're persecuted believers in Turkey, living far from the land of promise, where all of the dreams that we had and we thought we were going to make a difference for God and here we are living in exile and the kingdom of God has not come and the Romans are winning and we go, God, what are you... What they needed to know is that God cares about them deeply. As some of you walk the road of aging and life is hard, the pain... Maybe you forget some things and you go, what does this mean? Like, where is this going to lead? Like, how, where, how are the, maybe you go, hey, how are the bills going to be paid? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, you need to know that God, you need to know, know that God cares for you. As you look at the future where you go, God, all of the dreams that I had, about the next season of my life, about retirement, about whatever that case, the case may be. And you go, God, all that seems either washed away, it seems delayed, it seems like I didn't get where I thought I was going to get. Peter says, you need to know 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that God cares about you. No matter what the world holds, no matter what the future holds, no matter the situation that you find yourselves in. Can you believe God cares about you? And so then humility is safe and casting our anxiety makes absolute sense. And I think the greatest proof of this reality that God cares for us is in John 3.16. We usually think about the last part of it. That, whoever, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we forget the line that says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your, your cares on Him because He gave His Son for you. He proved it at the cross. He proved it at the cross. He loved you so much. So why don't you cast the potty training, the unwise choices, the temptations, the uncertainty about the future. Cast all of those things on Him because He cares about you. And He proved it to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You so, so much that You, that you gave Your Son for us while we were still sinners. You died for us. And so now, when you say, humble yourself under my mighty hand and cast your anxieties on me, then we can trust, oh, I'm casting my anxieties on a God who made my business his business. I pray that we would know that deep down in our hearts. I pray that our families would know that deep down in our heart, their hearts. I pray that our community, some of those who feel so lost and abandoned and like nobody cares about them, would hear and believe the truth that the God of the universe loves and cares about them. In Jesus' name, amen.